account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and then turn to the explanation of his word. Father, we're here this morning to worship you. And so we have prayed and we have lifted you up in song. We have, we have sought to give you honor and glory and praise. And we ask that, that you would be pleased with what we've done here, Lord, because we have done it to celebrate you. We thank you for the opportunity to give to exercise our trust in you and to uh, commit some of our resources to you, trusting that you will continue to supply all of our needs according to your riches in glory. And Lord, now we've read your word. We have heard the writings which are able to shape our hearts and minds. The spirit uh, empowers your, your word. It is your very heart on paper spoken to us to challenge the way that we think and the way that we act and to strengthen those things which you've put in us, which, uh, which we use to live for your glory. Lord, we pray that, that you would, by your power and by your grace, uh, convict us, encourage us, help us and challenge us as we spend time in your word this morning, Lord, and we pray that you would just give us great hope that your spirit dwelling in us, the righteousness of Christ given to us, and then a command to change the way that we live or a command to continue using our words wisely. We pray that that we would see progress and growth in this area and that we would not be Uh, destroyed, and that we would not ignore it either. We pray for your encouragement throughout this time. We thank you for Jesus, in whose name we pray all these things. Amen. Uh, Some of you may remember that uh, back in the day when you got your brand new uh, computer, if it had uh, the, the Microsoft Office products on it, when you started up some of those products, for the very first time, you were introduced to a kind of a, uh, a, a, a Jiminy Cricket character, like a, a, a fairy godmother who would help you in your, uh, your calculations of spreadsheets. Or uh, if you were attempting to work on a presentation, it would say, no, 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 you know, think about this or think about that. Or, uh, you know, when you, were, when you are putting together sentences, this little hero would dance about the screen and, and, and attempt to correct you and guide you. Uh, his name was Clippy. Do any of you guys remember Clippy? Uh, this animated little paperclip uh, that, would, that would bounce around. And, uh, apparently, people found Clippy so annoying and so irritating that they removed him from future versions of Office products. Although you may be able to like re-enable Clippy somewhere, if you if you know if you can, uh, let me know. Not that I would turn him on, but I just I don't know. Uh, Clippy, I think, functioned as your writing conscience in uh, in in Microsoft Word. You know, uh, 
back when, when Word originally came out, I don't think it functions this way anymore, uh, if you spelled a word wrong, it would underline that word in red. You'd get this angry little squiggle. And if you said something that was grammatically incorrect, it would, it would underline it in a different color, right? Uh, it was like, I can't remember. It might have been like green, dark green or something. But to me, like dark green is, is still green. Green is go. Green is good, right? Green is check. Um, uh, and so it would, it would point out inconsistencies in grammar and writing. Now I know right now that, uh, that if... If, if Word automatically replaces a word and doesn't ask permission, it underlines it in blue. Because I'm always like, what is that? You know, like, why did you, why did you do that? What, what, what's, why are you pointing this out to me? But it's kind of like, I think it, Word is saying, like, I'm here, appreciate me and love me. Um, maybe. When it comes to our communication, um, we don't have Clippy. When we, when we speak. Uh, not that we necessarily need Clippy. The good news is that uh, the Lord has given us the Holy Spirit. We have uh, an awareness of, of how we're supposed to talk. And throughout the scriptures, sprinkled throughout, are, are clear commands about how it is that we're to speak. And, and ways that are temptations and dangers that we're to avoid uh, given what we know about how we can get into trouble with our speech. The scriptures are clear about the power of the tongue, the power of words. Proverbs 18.21 puts it this way, the tongue has the power of life and death. That's pretty extreme. And yet, when we think about the way that we function and the way that we interact with one another, words are the basis of everything, aren't they? The way that we talk, the things that we say, the the actual words that we put together uh, change the world every single day, don't they? The, The tone at which you speak to someone else changes the meaning. And sometimes if, you know, Guys, you know, you can identify with this. You, you get the words right, but you get the tone just kind of off. You know, it's like you're, you're coming in for a smooth landing and everything looks great. And you're like, this is going to be awesome. And, you know, it's just you're, you're just you're cruising in, no turbulence whatsoever. And you say something and, and the, the tone is, is off, right? And it just throws the entire conversation or interaction off. You, you're like, oh, how and why did I, did I mess that up? Tone, word choice, the, the times at which we choose to say things. Sometimes we, we, we share something or say something in the wrong moment. Uh, we say it in the wrong way. The tongue has the power of life and death. I have heard... Over my years in ministry about parent, how parents have devastated their children by repeated poor word choices, the way that they speak to their children, maybe even unaware that they're causing damage. Children uh, in a moment of, of anger or rage or uh, righteous defiance have exploded at their parents and said things, said things to them that just leave them rocked. 
Isn't it interesting that, that many times uh, you, can, you can do something or accomplish something and 99 people will congratulate you and encourage you, right? And all of those things go on the scale. And, and, and man, I did really well, right? But one negative comment weighs more than all the positive, doesn't it? Have you ever, you ever felt that where it's just like you, you're doing so well, you're feeling so good, everything's going just fantastic. And, and then all of these words have been said to you. Somebody makes one critical comment and it just erases all the good. That's evidence that there's power in words and power in the tongue. Paul tells the Christians in uh, Colossae that as they are living out their faith, as they're, they're putting on compassionate hearts, as they're putting on the character of Christ, as they're letting the word of Christ dwell in them richly, as they're living out this new life, that it's critical that they pay attention to their speech. So Paul says in verse 6, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Colossians is probably not the, the place where we get the, uh, the clearest view of the, the, the power of the tongue. Paul it says here that, that our speech is to be gracious, and he talks a little bit about seasoning and, and that we need to be wise in how we answer people. But when we look at the book of James, we learn, uh, we, we get more of a bit of an anatomy lesson. Uh, not necessarily the, the actual functioning of, of, of the parts within our mouth, but what we get is a, a spiritual dissection of what's going on with the power of our words. James says this in James chapter 3, verse 2. He says, we all stumble in many ways. He's pointing out the fact that there's a, a universal component to human sin, right? Well, nobody's perfect. That's, that's part of the admission cost of becoming a Christian. You have to uh, admit that, that you have sinned and you have failed in the eyes of God and that you need a savior and that you need righteousness that you lack. And so you have to admit, I am a sinner and I've failed in specific ways. And James acknowledges that. We all stumble in many ways. And then he says... That if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. He says you can have all kinds of control over yourself. There are, there are so many ways in which you can, can demonstrate mastery of, of your, your body in terms of the, the kinds of things, the kinds of ways in which people sin. But the tongue, if you can control that, you are perfect. Right now, he's not necessarily saying like, OK, if you struggle in in a bunch of different ways, focus on the tongue. And if you get that, you're good. You get a pass on everything else. He says, no, 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 no. This is the hardest thing. This is the most difficult area. So he says that the tongue is is the most unruly member of the entire body. It's the one that goes astray the most. It's. Such a tiny part, 
and yet it determines so much about how we live. James goes on and he says, we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us and we guide their whole body through this small part. Look at ships, though they're so large and are driven by strong winds, they're guided by a very small rudder. Think about that. We used to go whitewater rafting and uh, with, our, with our youth group, you know, and uh, so six of us would pile into a raft and, uh, you know, you've got, you've got six people rowing in one direction, right? Putting all of this power out and, and, and putting all this energy in and the water is going. And if one passive aggressive teenager who just wants to stick it to his youth group leader. Like the youth group leader's like, you know, we're not going to get stuck in these rapids. We're not going to get stuck on that rock. You know, if one kid decides he's going to stick his oar in and steer the raft in a different direction, all it takes is that, that one kid using his oar as a rudder to pin that raft on a rock for an hour. I'm not talking about me. That was my brother who did that. Uh, every single time. Real important, guys. And I would sit and I was like, I would think, Bob, that's my youth group leader. When are you going to learn? Like, if you tell us it's absolutely critical we don't get stuck, my brother's going to maroon us every single time. I had different issues at whitewater rafting. Anyway, uh, the small part, the, the bridle, uh, the bit, the rudder, guides the entire course of the the ship or the horse. And then James says, the tongue is a fire. It's a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members. It stains the whole body. It sets on fire the entire course of life and is set on fire by hell, right? Wow. Are we paying attention to the power of the tongue, right? Every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue, right? Nice place to, to, to cross-reference in the, in the book of uh, 1 Corinthians where Paul says, if you think you stand, take heed lest you fall. Isn't that the way it happens? When, just when you think everything's going well and you, you relax and you let loose a little bit, with your words, right? And now all of a sudden you're in trouble. The tongue can have great constructive, destructive power. And it's inconsistent for us to use it for both good and evil. Look at what James says here. With the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. That's, uh, and uh, I think, a... Subtle bit of evidence or a a, a connection to where the Lord teaches us, though we're supposed to love him with all our heart and soul and mind and strength, that love is measured by the way that we treat our fellow human beings, right? You can't honor God with your words and then curse people who are made in his image. That's inconsistent. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? No, in case you didn't know. Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. 
The tongue is the most unruly member of the body. It can have great destructive power. It's inconsistent for us to use it for both good and for evil. And Jesus points out that our words do more than just, uh, they, they, they have more effect than just the effect that they cause on other people or the harm that they can create in the world. Our words reveal our character. They reveal what is, is going on inside of us. Luke 6, 45, Jesus says, The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. The tongue is sort of like, now that I'm an automotive expert, you all have heard my, uh, my, my dis- adventures. Um, the, the tongue is kind of the dipstick of the soul, right? You, you, you clean it off and you put it back in there and you pull it out and you take a measurement, right? And if you look at that oil and it's, it's dirty and, uh, you know, or if it's low, you realize, hey, I need to make some adjustments here. Our speech, the things that we say are an indication of what's going on in our heart. And so Paul says that it's important that we learn to speak with grace, that we learn to speak graciously, that we reorient ourselves and have a gracious focus when we talk. Colossians 4, 6, let your speech always be gracious. Here's what I find so encouraging about this. Paul doesn't go back at this point and say, make sure that everything that you think is always gracious, right? I find that tremendously encouraging because a lot of uh, what I think and a lot of what comes to mind and the things that uh, occur to me, like, oh, I need to check in on this or I need to do that or I need to pay this bill or I got to mail that or I got to. It, it's almost like it's all buried in the unconscious and it like bubbles up. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I forgot to. Like, where did that thought come from? I didn't remember to like, I didn't think about the things that I've, I wasn't like, what am I forgetting? It just like occurred to me. It's unconscious. I don't, I don't like the way that person's talking to me. You know, I, I just read this thing and I'm like, I totally disagree with this person. Who do they think they are? Right. That's what goes on in the mind. But we have moments. We have time. We can choose what it is that we say. Right. Your, your thoughts may, may uh, occur unbidden. Your, your thinking may wander places. You may find yourself wandering down different paths and avenues, but you have control over your mouth, right? And so I find it enormously encouraging that, that rather than saying that your thought life needs to be perfect, right? Paul will say in the book of Philippians, you may be thinking this right now, that he says, whatever's good, whatever's pure, whatever's righteous, whatever is several other things, think on these things, right? The, the point there is that 
as our unconscious thoughts comes to us, as our, as our mind presents us with facts and, and thinking, that we filter them and that we divert them and change them and say, hey, you know what, instead of, instead of thinking about this negative thing or framing this problem negatively, I'm going to choose to think about it positively. Our, our thinking functions one way, but our speaking, we always think before we speak even if we're not thinking before we speak. Do you know what I mean? Like you have to actually put your words together in order to say them when we use our words, right? We think and then we speak. And so the filter that ought to guard our mouth, Paul says, is that our speech ought to always be gracious. Let's elaborate on that a little bit. It says in Ephesians 5.29, Paul says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, so that it may give grace to those who hear. Nothing that corrupts should come out of our mouths. We can judge whether or not we've spoken well or whether we've spoken poorly when we, when we say, have I, have I destroyed or poisoned or harmed anyone or anything by using these words? Or have I chosen instead to have a gracious focus? Our, our intent when we let our words fly, right? can be to dismantle, destroy, to break down, or to give grace. And so uh, it is, it's encouraging, and I think uh, we, we shouldn't be surprised to find that, that what is, is being said here is that when we think about what we're saying, we ought to say, am I saying this out of love for the person that I'm addressing? Am I taking a loving perspective when I'm, when I'm discussing something? Am I, am I thinking about all the people who are going to be affected by what I'm, what I'm saying and saying, are they going to be well served by what I'm saying right now? We're not to let anything that destroys or poisons come out of our mouths, but instead we're supposed to say things in a way that's good and that builds up, that, 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 that adds Value, or that, that builds or that strengthens. It also needs to fit the occasion. There are times where we can say things where it's like, uh, no, 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 too soon, right? Like there, there are times where people are grieving. There are times where people are angry. There are times when somebody's just had a bad day and they are just unloading. And you know that you could guide them and correct them, but they're just having a moment and they got to get some stuff out and they got They need to be heard by someone. And you could be like, well, you know, you needed to do this, 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 and this. And then they're like, Ugh, at you, you know, occasion is also a matter of love. When do we choose to speak up? But Paul's point here, he says, is that what we say needs to give grace to those who hear. Even if our intent is to correct someone or to, to guide them out of the error of their ways, there are, there, there are, there's a way of, of saying something. There's a way of, of loading up our words with venom, right? That, that 
proves our point, that, that fills them with power, and that destroys even as the words are being said. Or there's a way of saying, I choose to speak to you, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to you in a way that is going to let you know that you are safe, that you are loved, and that this is not okay and needs to be changed. Uh, a friend of mine calls this a praise sandwich, right? I guess this is a military term, at least for him, it's a, it's a, it's a military term. And um, the way that you build a praise sandwich, right, is that you affirm your love or care or that person's value, right? That's the, the, the bottom layer of the sandwich. I don't think we include the plate in the praise sandwich. So like you put, you put the first piece of bread down and that's, I love you, you're safe, you're good, you're valuable, right? Next comes the meat, which is, and that's, you have to stop doing this. This is not okay. Like if you keep doing this, I'm going to fire you or we're gonna have problems or you're gonna be grounded or I'm gonna turn off your Wi-Fi or we're not gonna be able to go on vacation or whatever, you know, whatever the, 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 the rebuke is. And then the top layer is more praise, right? And so it's, hey, listen, I love you and you're a valuable member of the team. You have to stop doing this. It needs to stop so that we can do what we do best together Right, so that we can uh, continue to have a good marriage relationship or so that our family can all function. You know, it's like it's, it's safe, affirming words, criticism, and then safe, affirming words. There's a way of, of issuing correction. You make sure that, that grace is throughout. It's not just blurting criticism. Here's another, I, I, I'm not into like just throwing out tips all the time. Like that's not the point. Um, but, but maybe there are, are some. I do think that it's important to make sure that we focus on behavior and not on the individual, right? I think that, that saying to someone, okay, you made a foolish mistake is a whole lot better than saying you're an idiot, right? Because if you're an idiot, you can't change that. Right? If I tell you, hey, you know what? The problem, the reason you made this mistake is because you're stupid. You can't change that. But if I say, hey, what you said was dumb, then it's not about you. It's about the thing that you said. And you know what? I do think that, that, that in this whole world of likes and unlikes and friending and unfriending, um, you know, and, and controversy and the 24-hour news cycle where everybody's offended about every last thing and that, and that uh, scratching someone's feelings is like the ultimate offense that, that could ever be committed. In that kind of, of, of world, we, we have, uh, we've become so welded to our actions like everything that we do we somehow we we have ownership of you know we need to to learn that we are not necessarily our words we're not necessarily our actions and if someone says hey that was dumb what you did we can say hey yeah you know what you were right and i'm not going to do that anymore and and you can you can change you can move beyond it. But when we say to someone, when we define them with words, like we, we, we talk about them personally and not their behavior, they can't move on from that. 
we, we have destroyed them. We've, we've uh, weighed them down with baggage. One of the things that uh, I, I've read years ago and I've repeated over and over again, particularly in, in premarital counseling, is somebody once said that words are like arrows. They may be more harmful than arrows, but unlike arrows, they can't be pulled out or recovered. You can't ever get that back once you say it. And if you add that to the idea that one word of criticism, one, one word spoken in anger cancels out a hundred compliments, there's just something about negative words that feels truer to us that we hold on to. And that's why it's so important to filter what we say. Wow, I said a whole bunch of stuff and like kind of ran off of my notes here. I have to recover for a moment here. No, nothing corrupt is supposed to proceed out of our mouths. If we're going to judge our words, we, we have to say, did I say what I said with the intent that I was going to, 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 to say what was in the best interest of that person without the intention of destroying them or embarrassing them? That's key in the way that we frame our speech. It needs to impart grace to the hearers. Ephesians 5, 4, Paul says, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Our focus is um, to, to not... We have to balance the fact that, that our words need to guide and correct others and to, to share with them that, yes, it, you know, people can say things that, that cause damage. People can, can say things or do things and then need correction, but we need to correct in such a way that we build them up instead of tearing them down. It's funny, I saw a news article um, earlier this week that I, I think that the author was being sarcastic with his title, um, but, but it was about, um, about the, how, how toxic and polarized our culture has become. And the headline was, New Weapon to Fight Off Toxic Culture, right? Colon. Compassion. And it was about... Uh, the, the, there was, there was uh, an article, I think it was about a doctor and how uh, this one doctor was under a tr- tremendous number of legal threats and had been sued numerous times and learned that if he changed the way that he talked to his patients, if he was more compassionate, if he developed his bedside manner, that people were less offended, less harmed, misinterpreted his language. I think, think about this, like we, we, can, we can do tremendous damage to people by being self-absorbed when we speak. We're only speaking to change our world, right? I want you to adjust to make my life easier, I want you to, to reshape yourself so that you don't affect me quite as much or that you affect me in a positive way. And so we're just, we're spitting out words with the intent of serving ourselves instead of best serving that 
person or serving everyone. When we speak with care and compassion for other people and we say, I'm going to think about how this is going to affect this person and I'm going to try to affect them for their good, our, our words are more on target. They are accomplishing not just what we want them to accomplish or should want them to accomplish if we're, if we're devoted to the Lord, but we're accomplishing the purpose for which words are given. What, what, they've been, uh, what we've been graced with the gift of speech for. Our speech is to be seasoned with salt, Paul says. It's funny because um, language changes, right? You know, the meaning of, of words change. Uh, and so, you know, I just I want to be clear that, that when I say that our, our, la- our speech is to be seasoned with salt, that doesn't mean uh, the language that you use when you're feeling salty, right? You know, you've heard that expression. Now, this is not like an occasion to break out your bowling words, you know, or your, your, your frustrated language. Um, instead, the, the focus here is speech properly flavored so that it will be well-received. Uh, salt is one of those things, uh, a complete, you know, the, okay, how to say this. Um, my mom read an article in the 80s that said that, um, you know, the 80s were like, everybody, load yourself up with bran. Everybody, eat more broccoli. Everybody, you know, and it was like, the 80s to me felt like this progression from nasty food to nasty food, right? It was just like, whatever you like least is what's best for you. And out of love and good intent, my mom was like, I want my kids to be healthy. And so she fed us all the things that were good for us. And at some point she read this article that said that, you know, that, that what was in chicken skin was not good for you. And so every piece of chicken that we got served for a whole bunch of years, she'd just take the skin off of it. And now when, when Nancy takes that tray of chicken out, right, you know, and it's there and it, and it goes on my plate and I, I bite into it. Like sometimes I'll you know, if this, you know how the skin can sometimes come off? Like, I may save it, but I, I, want, I want to, to have each piece that I cut, like, have just the right amount of skin on it, you know? Why? Because the salt and the spice and all that stuff, it sticks to the skin, right? And a complete and total lack of salt can underwhelm and undermine a meal, right? And too much can ruin it. Salt, you don't, you don't want to taste the bite of it, you know? You don't want to, I mean, you want to get the hint of it. You don't want it, you don't want to feel like you're swimming in the ocean. You don't want to get punched in the face by the salt, you know? But nor do you want it to be completely and utterly missing. The low salt movement in the 80s was the worst. It was like no salt in anything around our house. It was like you'd take the salt out and it was... You know, why are you putting salt on that? Salt's bad for you. And it was like, please, let me just have a little bit of, of salt. Proper, perfect flavoring makes it receptive. It makes it attractive. C.S. Lewis 
says this. Suppose there was a person who knew nothing about salt. You give him a, a pinch to taste, and he experiences a particularly strong, sharp taste. You then tell people that everyone in your country uses salt in their cooking. Wouldn't he reply, in that case, I suppose all your dishes taste exactly the same because the taste of the stuff you have given me is so strong that it will kill the taste of everything else. But you and I know that the real effect of salt is exactly the opposite. So far from killing the taste of the egg or the steak, or your cabbage, it actually brings it out. That they don't show their real taste until you've added the salt. I think that is profound. Too much, too little. When, when we talk, we need to be conscious of the fact that, that, okay, I have a relationship with this person and I am talking to them and my discussion with them, in a sense, frames not only their perception of me, but what I say to them is going to shape the course of their life, just like James said. You put that, that bit in the mouth of a horse, you put a rudder on the back of a boat and you guide their life. Now, they may be able to shake it off, what you say to them, you know. They may be able to, to dismiss your, your negative uh, comment. But sometimes, depending on who this person is and what their relationship is, these moments, these words that we say, sometimes almost dismissively, offhand, we're not, we're not feeling well, we're feeling tired, we need to eat, we're feeling irritated, and we spit words those words lock in the soul and they begin to determine the destiny or the direction of another person's life. We need to think about the person when we're talking. We need to listen to what they're saying. We need to shape and frame our words so that when we fire them off, they're receiving not only our exact meaning, but they're also hearing what words were created for to give grace and to build up. I think it's important that we say, you've got a tremendous amount of talent, but I noticed this. Here's where I think you're going wrong. Or, hey, you know what, you've, you've worked on this project, you've written this document, you've done this thing, and you've done fantastic. I made a few corrections, but overall, fantastic. I just prefer it if you would, you would do it this way, you know. How is the food, right? It's got too many onions in it. No. It's fantastic, right, guys? I mean, it's, it's like, no, it, you, anyway, like if you... If it's got too many onions, you should have cooked it yourself. Like, this is just, as, a, as a, I think a relatively successful husband, I just I throw this out there. Don't, right? Like, I think, go back to where, where Paul says, uh, uh, as it fits the occasion, when you're being asked to evaluate the food. Why? Because what's, what's happened here is, is that your loved one, your spouse has cooked this meal and prepped this thing for you and has served it up. They have slaved, you know, they have cut 
and they have seasoned and they have uh, broiled and flambéed or whatever they've done. And they've made this thing and they're offering it up to you. And they say, what is your judgment? And you say, it has too many. No, like it is perfect. Thank you. It's good. It's an opportunity to, to show grace and to say thank you and to build them up. As Christians, what we need to realize, let me tell you this, this is a, a secret weapon in an incredibly toxic culture. Everybody feels insecure right now. People have tremendous sense of their deficiencies and their failures. And to be able to say to someone, I love you and I respect you, you're, you're sensing inside that you need to strengthen certain areas or grow. I accept you and love you. And, and I think maybe you should try this. There's power in that. If the Lord God of heaven, if this is the good news of the gospel, and in parentheses, this is, okay? The, the good news of the gospel is this, that no matter where we have gone and what we have done, Jesus has gone to the cross for us taken our sins and our unrighteousness upon himself. And he has held out an offer of righteousness to each and every person who will come and say, I need righteousness. That means that in God's eyes, we are completely and utterly accepted. We have been given in his Holy Spirit a seal. That means we will never be thrown away. We will, we will never be removed from God's presence. He is always for us. And so when he says, you need to change this, it comes in that entire uh, atmosphere of acceptance. Why do we change? Because we're going to lose heaven? No, because, because it's just not good for us. Because life will be better. Correction is offered from a perspective of love and care that we would grow for our, for our benefit. And so when we speak as Christians, we need to know that our words may not have the same power to create the universe as God's words do, but we have the ability to create emotional reactions. We have the ability to create an environment. We have the ability to create a home or to create friendship or to create acceptance and love. And we ought to speak knowing that that's what we do when we speak. We especially, Paul says, need to watch our language around those who are not believers. He says in, in uh, Colossians 4, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Paul says in 2 Timothy 2.23, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And so we need to watch what we get involved in, where we, where, where we use our words, and we need to say, is it profitable or worthwhile, or does it build up in order to, to, to get involved in this discussion or this quarrel? When we're talking to our relatives, and I don't mean this in the full sense of foolishness, but we have to ask the question, we talked about these, these two Proverbs last week, when, 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 we're, when we're debating with somebody that we love, we have to ask, do I, do, I, um, do I answer the fool according to his folly? Or do I not? 
Not that that person is a full-blown fool, you know what I mean? But, but the principle applies. Do I, do, I, do I correct this person and get so absorbed in this argument that, that in order to issue correction, I'm going to look like an absolute fool and, and nothing's going to be accomplished here? Or am I able to correct them? How do I do it? We need to, we need to be careful. The Lord's servant it says in verse 24, and this doesn't just apply to pastors, this applies to anybody who says, I want to be used by God in my occupation. I want to be used by God as a parent. I want to be used by God among my friends. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach. Teaching is not telling, right? Teaching is not saying this is what's wrong. Fix it, fix it, fix it. Teaching is, is creating a sense of awareness in people where they hear your words and they say, you know what, that's true. And this is cha- affecting and changing my thinking. We need to be able to teach. We need to patiently endure evil. And we need to correct our opponents with gentleness. All of that is, is, all of that is reflected in part in the way that we speak. Why do we do this? Because even though God is in control of what happens to people in terms of their ultimate destiny, it's conditioned somehow by our behavior. Because look at what he says next in verse 25 of 2 Timothy. He says, God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. They may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. There's no reason why Paul would say, stay out of stupid arguments and don't be argumentative, but be kind. You know, focus on on teaching and and sharing and and moving the way that and adjusting the way that people think and endure when, when people mistreat you and correct gently because God may grant them repentance. The way that we behave, the way that we speak, the way that we put our words together affects people's destiny. We need to make sure that the way that we use all our words on all subjects sets them up for the, fact, for the, for the opportunity to believe our words about Jesus, that we're not undermining our testimony about Jesus with our testimony about other things. We have an amazing opportunity to change people's lives. We have an amazing opportunity to create people's perception of who God is, of who Jesus is, of who they are and whether or not they are valuable and whether or not they have worth and what their identity is by what we say, the way that we say it. And so Paul tells us to filter what we say on this basis. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. I would commend some other words as well. If you are feeling like, man, I have kind of messed it up. Now I've really messed it up in this area, with this person, with that person. Words have power. And that means that words like, you were right. 
have power. I was wrong. I need to apologize. Can we go back and talk about this again? Those words have power. I believe that, that rather than focusing on absolute perfection all the time, what we need to do is we need to focus on the fact that we're told to speak graciously. God is gracious, and that means that he forgives a multitude of sins. That's what true love accomplishes, according to the scriptures. It covers It forgives, it releases, and sends away wrong. And so we need to learn to speak in a way that imitates God's character. When somebody comes and says, I was wrong and I am sorry, making sure that, okay, we we can say, you know what, that really hurt me when you did that. But at some point we need to say, I forgive you. It's in the past. Let's move on. I accept your apology. We can, we can say small and simple things that will change and dramatically impact the lives of other people. Do we who claim to be the disciples of Jesus Christ, the word of God, the word made flesh, do we speak words of truth that are built and, and framed and that do they flow from a gracious place? Do we speak in the way that he did and with his intent and his heart? Let's follow Jesus in every way, especially in the way that he spoke. For his glory, for their destiny, and for our joy. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your example. And Father, we thank you for the opportunity that you've given us to create and to build and to heal with our words. And we pray that you would help us, Lord, to control our frustration or our emotional reactions and to grow strong in speaking positive words that build up instead of negative words that tear down. It is so easy to destroy. We pray that you would give us the strength of your spirit to help us build up and encourage and strengthen. Father, I pray that we would embrace the, 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 the sense of loss or sense of weakness that we may feel in being limited in the things that we say. But instead, I pray that that we would rejoice at the opportunity to build up and to transform and change other people's lives. Lord, help us to grow strong in realizing what power you've given to us and help us to build up and to point to you in all things. Father, I pray that that we would be known as those who repent and those who acknowledge our wrong and those who admit when we have done something wrong and that we say that we're sorry, but that we also say that we forgive and we also say that we love and we also say you have value and we also point out the work of Jesus and his amazing grace. And so I just ask that you would lead us and guide us in all that we say and do for your glory and for our joy, we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing a closing song together.